0: Praise the Lord and thank God today. This is Pastor Adams, the president and founder of Truth Matters Ministries. So thankful that you've taken time to join this podcast as we continue in our exposition and teaching on this grand, grand event and this grand place that's called heaven. And before we get into our teaching on heaven, we want to just pause and pray. Father, we thank you once again for everything that you've done. We thank you just for being God. We thank you that we have the privilege of being members of your royal priesthood family. Our heart's desire is to please you in all that we do. We thank you, Lord God, that we're called sons and daughters. And we thank you today that, Lord God, you have given us the privilege to be heirs and joint heirs with you in Christ Jesus. And today, as we go into this particular teaching, we ask that you will continue to Keep your loving arms wrapped around those, Lord God, who are looking for answers, those who are still seeking you. You bless the atheists. You bless the skeptic. You bless the agnostic. You bless that unbeliever. You bless that person who is ensnared in movements like Islam, those who are, have been taken captive by the Watchtower Bible and Track Societies, those who've been blinded, by so many cultic and Christian science and Scientology movements. Lord, you bless those people. Give them a mind, Lord, to see you clearly. Let them have a desire, Lord, to seek your face because you promised that if we seek, we find. You said if we ask, we shall receive. You said if we knock, certainly the door will be open. And Father, we thank you for all things. You let someone be touched. Let them be blessed and let them be encouraged to live and to follow you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And so true are the words that were spoken by Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal said that truth is so obscure these days, and he said that falsehoods are so well-established, unless men love the truth, he says, we can't even know it. We can't find it. We can't even make a distinction between truth and a lie. It's almost like trying to discern what's margarine or what's butter, making a distinction between what is wheat and what is chaff. It's so hard to know what's really true. But Adam Schiff said as he was giving final remarks at the Donald Trump impeachment hearings, he said, right matters. Truth matters. And without truth, he says we're lost. That's why Jesus says, and ye shall know the truth. And by knowing the truth, it will make you free. And we we spoke last week about what is called the present heaven, the future heaven. And we're going to pick up with John 14 and 23. It tells us, it says, my father will love him and will come to him and he'll make our home with him. Most views of heaven is what's called anti-incarnational. What do we mean by anti-incarnational? Well, simply it means it's nothing that's physical, which causes a person to fail to see that God came in human form. Why did he do that? To identify and redeem mankind and the new heaven and the new earth are about God making time and space His eternal home. Man, I think that's so important for us to understand. We must see the distinction of the present heaven. It's up there, and the eternal heaven is down here. Now, the question arose is, is the present heaven a physical place? Many Christians' view of heaven is shaped by tradition and what is called Platonism. Now, Platonism is a thought and it came from the Greek philosopher Plato. And what they taught was that physical things including the physical body were evil. And that immaterial things such as soul and heaven are good. The church was highly influenced by this concept through the teachings of Philo in AD 50. In origin, in A.D. 185, they taught that human spirits are far better without bodies and that heaven is a disembodied state. They rejected the teachings of Scripture that heaven was a physical and allegorized text. And what they would do is they would allegorize text that indicated the physical composition of heaven. Randy Alcorn, he calls this Christoplanetism. This view made it difficult for Christians to conceive us having bodies, or even eating food, or having social communities in heaven. They considered it totally unscriptural. The most important doctrine in the Bible is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the ark and the capstone of the Christian faith. This doctrine has been somewhat diluted by Christoplanetism. In that, if we soften the power of the resurrection, then we weaken the hinge of our resurrection. If Jesus' resurrection assures our resurrection, then we must defend the crucial teaching of the physical resurrection of our bodies. Truth Matters Ministries will devote time to discuss this later, but the physical resurrection of Christ assures our physical resurrection and the resurrection of the new earth, which is part of the future heaven, which we're going to really delve into. Now, Revelation 7 9 speaks of musical instruments. Revelation 8 and 6 tells of the presence of horses in heaven. Revelation 19 and 14 speaks of a flying eagle in heaven. Many commentators suggest that these texts are just symbolic, apocalyptic literature. Now, this can be debated vigorously, but Hebrews is not apocalyptic. It's epistolary, meaning that it's talking about something that's actual. It says something quite revealing. Hebrews 8 and 5 reveals that earthly priests serve at a sanctuary that is a shadow of what is in heaven. Hmm. Moses was told to build the sanctuary after the pattern shown to him in the mountain. Now if the tabernacle that was built was a physical one, then the pattern was also surely physical. When Jesus told the thief in Matthew 24, t- excuse me, 23 and 43, "...today you will be with me in paradise," It comes from the Persian word paradisia, which means a walled park or enclosed garden. It was used in describing King Cyrus' walled gardens and his royal palace. In the Septuagint, it is used to describe the Garden of Eden, the same word rendered paradise. So, someone asks, Do we remain conscious after physical death? Will we be conscious? Well, Ecclesiastes 12 and 7 says, The dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Luke 16 and 22 describes the events of the rich man and Lazarus, along with Jesus' declaration that the thief will be with him at that day in paradise. At death, the human spirit goes to heaven or hell. There is no such thing as unconscious existence or annihilation or the so-called soul sleep. The Bible definition of death is separation in 2 Corinthians 5 and 8. Our Bible reveals Christians talking, worshiping in the present heaven, not soul sleeping. Biblical references to sleep are all euphemisms to death or separation. Another question arises concerning our state in heaven. And that question is, do we have bodies in the present heaven? Now, unlike God and angels who are in essence spirits, humans are by nature both spirit and physical. In Genesis 2.7, it tells us that God made man from the dirt, which is physical, and he breathed the spirit of life in him. There is never a time when man is without a physical body. Neuropsychologic studies have been conducted that reveal that there is an intimate connection between what has been historically defined as a soul, which includes the mind, emotions, and will, intentionally, and the capacity to worship. Now, this indicates that we are not merely spirits that inhabit a body, but as much physical as we are spiritual. How many times have we heard preachers declare that we are a spirit that lives in a body that possesses a soul? But in reality, we are just like God, a trinity. We are a body, a soul, and a spirit made in God's image, right? We're exactly in His image. He's triune, we're triune. To suggest otherwise is to diminish the very essence of the nature of the Godhead. My body, my body is not just a house. It is also a part of me. Did y'all catch that? I'm going to say it again. My body is not just a house. It is also a part of me. My thoughts, my feelings, my will and emotions are all a part of me. My life source and spirit is also a part of me. If the spirit separates from the body part of me, I am not whole because the body physical part of me must be resurrected and joined to the spirit part of me. The soul is so closely integrated into my body and spirit that Paul said that the word was alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. He says even cutting down to the heart to distinguish difference between soul and spirit. Paul writes in Second Corinthians 12 and 3 that he saw a man who was possibly in his body in heaven. Our Bible teaches that Christ rose physically. He ate food, he used the toilet, he slept, he fellowshiped, ascended to heaven, and promises to come back to earth in the same physical form according to Acts 1 and 11. Now, if Jesus had a physical body in heaven and he teaches that Christ was resurrected and his natural body was transformed into a spiritual body, And we as Christians bore the image of the first Adam. Likewise, we shall bear the image of Christ, the second Adam, with a resurrected spiritual body. Let's consider these three personalities, Enoch, Elijah, and Moses. Genesis 5 and 24 tells us that Enoch walked with God in a physical body. Hebrews 11 and 5 says, Enoch did not die, but was taken straight up to heaven so that he would not see death. 2 Kings 2, 11 and 12 states that Elijah was taken to heaven without leaving a body behind. Moses and Elijah appeared physically with Christ at the transfiguration, according to Luke 6, 28 through 36. Now, this indicates that God grants an intermediate body prior to the resurrection. Now, in Luke 16, it speaks of a rich man and Lazarus. Now, let's look and see what Luke 16 reveals. When Lazarus died, angels carried him to paradise. The rich man went to a place of torment. Lazarus is with Abraham, the rich man is alone. The intermediate heaven and hell are separated by a great gulf. Lazarus and the rich man communicate. They reason and maintain their earthly, physical appearance. Y'all hear me? The rich man remembers and possibly sees his brothers. Abraham affirms that no one can cross the chasm between heaven and hell. Now, since that's true, we have to ask the question, will we, will we be judged when we die? 1 Corinthians 3 and 13 illustrates that Christians will not be judged for our works, but for our faith. Say it again, Pastor Adams. 1 Corinthians three thirteen and 14 illustrates that Christians, those who are born again, even though we're going to be judged, we're not going to be judged for our works, but we're going to be judged for our faith. Jesus bore our judgment for our salvation and sins. But sinners will be, will be judged for their works and deeds during the great white throne judgment at the end of the old earth and just before the beginning of the new earth. Revelation 20, 11, 13 says, The judgments are for distinct purposes. For the Christian, it is the Bema Award Seat. Not to determine whether or not you have eternal life with Christ, but it's just what crowns are you going to receive? How many spiritual Oscars and Emmys are you going to be rewarded for your labor and for your faith? But for the sinner, it is for condemnation. The next question is, will Christians be aware of events on earth? I've always wondered about that. If I'm in heaven, will I know what's going on on earth? For my loved ones who are, I've heard so many people in sporting events or in interviews on television And they might cry and they'll say, well, you know what? My mother's not here to see me get drafted into the NBA or the NFL. My father is not here to see me win my Super Bowl trophy or to see me launch my business. But I know they're looking down on me. And I always wondered, I said, are people in heaven really able to look down? Now, memory is a basic element of personality. And if we are our true selves, our memories can't be discarded. In Revelation 6, 9 and 11, it describes the souls of Christians crying out to God for vengeance of the blood of the martyrs that had been shed while they were on the earth.
1: They remembered.
0: During the Transfiguration, Moses Elijah were aware of Jesus' departure and the events surrounding Jerusalem. They remembered. They were aware of the circumstances in which they arrived which is annotated in Luke 9 and 31. Now, Luke 15 and 10 allumes that Christians will rejoice in the presence of angels in heaven over a sinner that repents. What do you mean? How do they know that a sinner repent? Wow. They must have an awareness of what's happening on the earth while they're in heaven. Here we know details of activities, of earthly activities, such as a person escaping the wrath of hell and being translated into the kingdom of Christ through salvation. Revelation 18 and 20 enlightens us that Christian prophets and apostles were aware of the judgment of Babylon taking place on earth. Revelation 19 and 5 19 and 5 affirms that the Christian host of heaven We're rejoicing because of the judgment of the great whore. So, two, and with a limited sense, there are events on the earth that those in heaven are aware of. Now we're going to talk for the time we have left in this Truth Matters podcast on what is called the future heaven. Let's talk about the new earth and its relationship with the future heaven. God will make the new earth his dwelling place. Heaven and earth will no longer be separated as they are now, but they will be one. But to leave the new earth out of consideration when we think of a final state of believers is greatly to impoverish biblical teachings about the life to come. That was spoken by Anthony Hakima, a great theologian. Listen to this. Our destiny is an earthly one, a new earth, an earth redeemed and transfigured, an earth reunited with heaven, but an earth nonetheless. An African, now, as an African American, as I had mentioned in previous podcasts, I often have strong emotional longings to visit the place of my ancestry, Africa. With every mention of Africa, even the slave trade, the colonization of African nations, apartheid, or any National Geographic series, it excites my ever-present longing to visit the continent of my forebears. Our desire to smell the air, absorb the beauty, to even just even kiss the ground of my earthly heritage. John Eldridge, he wrote it in his book, The Journey of Desire, speaks of a sea lion, who was lost from the sea and lived in a dry, dusty desert. Something internal caused the sea lion to long to return to what he was made for, being in the water, being in the ocean. How he came to end up in barren lands was lost. He had been in a dusty desert so long it seemed that he had always been in that desert. See, our ancestors as Christians and as human beings came from Eden. And we live our lives in a sin-infested earth. We long for a paradise, a perfect world without corruption, where God walks with us in the cool of the day. Because we're human beings, we desire something tangible, the physical that will not fade away. Adam was made from the earth and forever affirms the principle that man was made for earth. Any hints of heaven are seen in the heaven is called a city in Hebrews 1 and 10. A city is comprised of people and communities and culture, buildings and art, sporting events, work and all type of activities. Heaven has been described as a country with a city. Say it again, Pastor Adams, Heaven has been described as a country with a city. We know that countries have territories and rulers and magistrates as well as citizens. If we can't imagine the present earth without rivers or lakes, oceans, mountains, forests, plains, and flowers and beaches, then how can we imagine the new earth without them? All of these type of features are repeated in Revelation 21 and 22. We can't read those chapters in the Bible and not clearly see earthly representations explode out of these passages. 2 Peter 3.13 tells us that we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth that God promised. When we think of the new earth, we don't have to possess a vivid imagination of what it looks like but it may take some imagination to understand understand how it will function. We have no identification or experience of there being no more death or no more crying, night, fear, stress, hatred, lies, thieves, covetousness, or even the common cold. Or even cancers, erosions, and... Aging, awareness of time and injuries, pain and heartbreak, wars, dissension and division, betrayal, hunger, germs, lack, lust, racism, loneliness, calamity. We have no idea of what that's like. This new heaven and new earth will be a paradise restored, a resurrected garden of Eden, replete with the tree of life according to Genesis 2 and 9 and Revelation 22 and 2. I find it interesting that God commanded Noah to take animals and birds and creeping things into the ark. He also told Noah to take food into the ark, to eat which included herbs and plants. We sometimes only see fleshly creatures as life, but God saw plants and trees as fundamental for life the animals would have died without there being plants. Our entire world is dominated by plants. The ocean's existence and survival is determined by plants. Isn't it interesting? God didn't name or select an animal to signify life. He selected a tree. He called it the tree of life. Now, if you study the fig tree, you'll find that it is the base or foundation to the survival of many African ecosystems. Research reveals that many plants are more intellectual than animals. Some even have the ability to monitor over 15 chemicals in their surroundings. There are plants that have electronically measured communication. They have intricate defense mechanisms that manipulate animals and insects to spread their seeds and to promote their survival. We all can see the intelligence in plants anytime we are gardening and attempt to kill weeds. It's amazing the defense mechanisms that they have. Our internet is not as sophisticated as the complex connections and communications of the roots of plants that extend for hundreds of miles underground. God created plants first before He created anything else on the earth. For He knew that plants would be the foundation of all living things even mankind remove plants then there's no plankton in our oceans and then we lose the majority of our oxygen remove plants and we lose our rainforest and then the remaining oxygen and an ecosystem that supports all living creatures on the earth god put man in a garden the new earth will have sequoia trees the largest living thing and plants that are in that are by far the oldest living things in the earth. The new earth will have oceans full of plants like seaweeds, kelp, and and algae. There will be plains of full wheat shrubs and grass, deserts full of cactus and forests with millions of trees abundantly supporting every plant and herb. And we thank God for you today joining our Truth Matters podcast. And As we continue to talk about the present heaven and the future heaven, man, make sure that you come back and participate because there's so many great treasures to unfold. Now, God bless you. You pray for us until we have an opportunity to share again. Amen.